You're listening to a podcast of New Covenant Church. Join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Pompano. Good morning. Please stand for the word. The reading today is from John 4.19 through 26. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know. For, for salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in, in spirit and truth. For such people the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who, are, who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming. He is called Christ. When that one comes, he shall declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Joe. You may be seated. Lord, we thank you for your grace by which we stand. We thank you that your word is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, able to expose our hearts and to show the good and perfect way that is in Christ Jesus. We ask that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to receive from you, for you are the desire of our heart. You are the reason why we're here. You're the reason why we gather. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are in our midst, writing your word and giving us your power through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. I want to welcome you in the virtual world, and I also want to welcome you, the family of God and New Covenant Church that is here physically. Adam is not able to be with us, and so he asked me to bring the word here today. He is uh, ministering to a wedding to a student that he had from uh, Coral Springs Christian Academy. He has known this person, actually this couple, for years, and it was the joy of his heart that when it came time for him to move from being a single person to the union of a man and a woman that they would ask him to preside over that celebration service. And so that is why Adam is not here. He wishes that he were here. He actually wrote an email saying, you know, in a way I'm kind of sad for not being here, but I know that it is not a man, as Adam has said mostly. It's not about him or what he does or you or me. It is about the Lord Jesus Christ that he is the one that works his purposes through us for his glory, for that which will endure unto eternity. And I'm going to speak to you a little bit today on a sensitive subject, and hopefully, by God's grace, we're going to have a little bit of fun. We're going to poke fun at ourselves, and we're going to laugh, I hope, because we're going to talk about worship. Now, worship, I believe, is one of the unique experiences of the Christian walk of faith because it engages all of us meaning our entire person. It engages our mind, it engages our emotion, it engages our physical expressions. And because worship is in this way unique, it engages all of us as we give ourselves, it, is become, it functionally becomes the theology that we remember. I mean, as an example of this, if, how many of us remember the sermon last week or the week before? But you remember the worship song. 
I mean, we haven't sung Waymaker in like, I don't know, many weeks. And yet when he came, it was like the, it was a glorious blessing of God. Because for me, Waymaker ministers in a unique way. And I understand what is the point that the Holy Spirit is speaking, that he goes before us to make the rough places smooth. Now, I say this as a person who believes in the preaching of God's word, that God's word will not return void, that believes in prayer and intercession, who believes a study to show yourself approved, a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We have a foundation of our faith, which is just the word of God. I believe in all of that. But worship is the purpose for which we were all created, to know God and enjoy him forever. That's what we will be spending eternity in worshiping and expressing the wonder of our God. But nevertheless, because, especially in a church like this, there is such a diverse group of cultures, a diverse group of ages, a diverse group of opinions about worship, it becomes a very sensitive subject. And the problem that I struggle with, that all of us struggle with, in a way, is that we elevate our opinions as though it was a command from God coming from Mount Sinai. If I, were, if I like a particular worship style or like a particular worship words, then that must be God. That must be anointed. And if I don't like it, well, okay, better luck next time. You know, maybe the Spirit will give you a revelation of how to worship correctly. And the reality is that's not really true. Our opinions are just that, our opinions. It's okay to have an opinion. God bless you for having an opinion. That means you've thought about something and you've come to a conclusion about what is true. But the reality is God's truth is not the same as our opinion. And to underscore that and kind of highlight that, I want to throw up a hierographic that in some ways, the younger generation, when they worship, it looks something like this. You know, it's the volume. It's the shaking ground. If the whole fire of the Holy Spirit doesn't show up, well, we'll put a flamethrower on the end of the guitar, and it'll blast out the anointing, and we will all be blessed. If the skin on our cheek isn't peeled back, then obviously we just need to turn up the volume, right? It's about the experience. It's about the emotion. It's about, wow, wasn't that wonderful? Isn't that memorable? And I just want to say as a side to, to, to John and Frank and if anybody suggests that we want to strap a flamethrower to the guitar, please, you know, come and see the leadership here at the church because I think they might have an opinion about that. But the other side is also very true. The older generation's worship styles and the way they, and the way we, I put myself in this category and being on this world for more than a few decades, the way we worship and approach, it can look something like this, you know, we got the liturgy going, we got the echo responses going, we got the genuflexes, and we got the choir. If it's not in the choir book, it must not be anointed of God. God bless you, my brother. In reality, if you're dead, don't die on the organ. There's a place, it's called the grave. And I've been in services where the reality is, you know, there is a better way. But it all, we laugh about this, but the reality is, is that it asks a fundamental question, what is right worship? For such worshipers, God the Father seeks. He looks for those whose hearts completely his, who enter into his courts with thanksgiving and into his gates with praise. And to help us understand that, it might be helpful to think of worship a little bit like spiritual food. By the way, this idea is from Zach Hicks on his book, Worship Pastor, the Worship Leader. And so you, those who have been trained in worship probably will understand this. The reality is, is that worship is like food. 
There's all kinds of food, and it doesn't matter. There's many ways of preparing it, different styles, different cultures, but worship is like food. It is a spiritual food to our body. There's from cotton candy, there's the hot dogs at the baseball field, there's McDonald's and Wendy's, and there's all kinds of fast food stuff. There's sushi, there's meat and potatoes, there's pizza, there's the grab it and go. We're out the door because we just don't have time. And the worship leader's job is kind of like a spiritual dietitian. He's selecting what is proper to teach us because in worship we're actually learning theology. The words that we remember stick with us and become the basis of the belief system by which we operate out here significantly. And so when Jesus speaks to such worshipers, the Father speaks, it pays us to pay attention and to look and see what the Lord is looking for in context of the spiritual dietitian. And so I want to submit to you that worship at a high level, agnostic really to even the Christian belief system, worship is our response to God and what he has done. And that fits for the Christian God and also fits for unbelievers. For all of us are worshipers. All of us are like people who will worship because men and women, humanity was created to worship God. We will worship. And whether it's money, it's our response to money and what money can do. It's my, whether it's relationship, my response to a relationship and what my wife, what, what my relationship can do. Whether it's influence or public recognition, what that can do. So when I want to narrow it down, our focus of worship is to a particular God as revealed in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and what he has and is and will do through the Holy Spirit in drawing us closer to the throne of grace. And we see that in this right worship, there are certain things that we must do. We must have right knowledge. We must worship in spirit and in truth. And in the end, the end goal of worship is not just the experience. The end goal of worship is the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. That we worship not for the emotional high, but we worship to see he, the Lord, high and lifted up, his train filling the temple, the smoke of his glory filling in the six cherubims, flying in midheaven, crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. In our minds, we are picturing something during worship, and the hope is here that in the Holy Spirit, we might gain a right picture of what is happening in worship. For as a person thinks within them, so is he. And what we think about and what is happening in the spiritual dynamic, because it is a spiritual dynamic, what is happening in worship is eternal, as spiritual, and it goes with us because it impacts us in our heart, in our emotions, and in our minds. So I want to speak to a moment here on the first point, that we must have right knowledge of worship. Right knowledge is absolutely necessary, as indicated in verses 19 through 22, which says, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped in this mountain, and you people, notice, you people, meaning the Jews, say that it is only in Jerusalem that the place where men and women ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. 
You worship what you do not know, but we worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. And here in the, per, in the specifics of this scripture are nuances of two bookends of the range of worship. In one end, it is possible to worship and not know what's happening. The Samaritans did that. What were the Samaritans? The Samaritans claimed to worship the same God that the Jews did. And if I may be so bold, the Samaritan people came out of a civil war that occurred in ancient Israel, and Jerusalem and Judah stayed with God and faithfulness, and then the Samaritans, the rest of the tribes, they just kind of went off their own way, and they did not want to forsake their God, but they, you know, this, we'll make it more seeker-sensitive. We're going to set it up in this mountain. You don't have to go to Jerusalem. You can worship over here. And by the way, the sacrifices are a little bit compromised, and there's certain things that have to do. You don't have to, to do the things that the Lord has laid out. So the Samaritans had a type of worship, a tall form, and they even claimed to worship the same God that the Jews did, but it wasn't working. It wasn't something that God honored because they had added their ideas and their opinions to it. But the other side is just as bad. We know about the Judaizers, the Pharisees. If someone comes to you and says, wow, that's pretty Pharisaical. That's not meant as a compliment, right? That's meant that, man, you are just very strong in a particular way, in a particular manner, in a particular, it has to be right on this point. And if it's not, you're just missing it. So there's on one side this legalism, and God's not in legalism. And on the other side, there's this thing of, well, you know, it really doesn't matter what God says. We're going to just do what we want to and what we feel about. That's not it either. So where is it that we find the role and the place that we can confidently draw conclusions about right worship? And that is looking at the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And the reason why I say that is because Jesus is the fulfillment of all that God has promised in the Old Testament and the ongoing fulfillment of his promises here in our life. Jesus is the prophet, priest, and king. The prophets of the Old Testament used to speak the word of the Lord. When God wanted to reveal himself with absolute clarity, he sent his word made flesh to dwell among us and to speak this perfect word and perfect revelation. As king... There were many Old Testament kings in Israel. Some of them ruled with righteousness. Others, nah, not so good. But Jesus, as the king of kings, who was with God and was God, and all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing has come into existence and through since creation. He is God. He came and ruled and showed what a loving, kingly priesthood he is and our father is. And I want to focus in now on the priesthood. The Old Testament worship practices, where they administered before the throne of God, represented by the Ark of the Covenant and the presence of the showbread and the candelabra, and entering in once a year into the Holy of Holies to present the offerings and the sin offerings to the, for the people. The priests actually were the people's representative before God. And this is where I want to focus in on here. That in Hebrews, and I, I, I will say, just as a side note here, that in 45 minutes there is absolutely no way that we can really do justice to worship in the depths. I, I started off with about 20 pages of notes that we had been here an hour and a half, and it was just, uh, 
just had to be really strong about not going down rabbit holes. And the reality is, is that I can't speak to you in the fullness of the breadth of what God wants to reveal as himself because God desires to put his mail in your mailbox through the Holy Spirit because long after you've forgotten, rightly so maybe, what I have said, he will put it on your heart and you will remember what the Holy Spirit speaks to you. You will remember it because he writes it by the finger of the Spirit upon your heart. But in the Old Testament, I would recommend that you read Hebrews to speak to the correlation between the Old Testament and the New Testament and Christ and his fulfillment. In chapter 8 of Hebrews, verses 1 through 2, it says this. Now the main point, after writing all eight chapters, and then there's some other chapters in 11, 12, and 13 that go on to Hebrews, the main point in all of this is that we have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heavens, a minister of the teragos in the Greek, of the sanctuary and in the true tabernacle, which the Lord has made and not men. And I want to key in on verse 2 with the letter teragos. That is the word from which we get the word liturgist. A liturgist is the one who actually ordains the service and sets up the structure. And is the one who is, if you would, the gatekeeper of what comes before the Lord and what is part of the worship servant is what is not. So in Christ, he is a liturgist. He is the one who actually ordains the worship in heaven before the Father, both of the angelic and that which is on earth. And those that have gone before us as the saints of old, they in their worship are led in perfect harmony with Christ. And so Christ fills really two functions. As God, he is the object of worship. He is the focus of worship, even as the, our heavenly father is. But he's also a one who leads the worship in his union with men. He is the one that actually operates to present our worship that we present before the, and worship here that it brings before the father. And he does it in a way that is pleasing to the Lord. He is the one, if you will, that filters our worship, adds the aroma of Christ. And as we come before the Lord, it is pleasing and acceptable because when the Lord looks at his church, he sees a blood-bought church. We do not come before the Lord ourselves. And one way to perhaps illustrate this is a young child, the daughter of a king, and they were having a banquet, and she wanted to gather the bouquet of flowers, you know, six, seven years old, they aren't too discriminating. So she goes out into the field, and she starts gathering flowers. Black-eyed Susan, Queen Anne's lace, maybe a sunflower here or there. But along the way, there's also this thing called ragweed, maybe a little bit of nettle plant. And, you know, when poison ivy is blooming, there's a little bit of a, a flower there too, So, and you need something to hold the things together, so you kind of take the vine and you wrap it around, and you got stuff in there that's perhaps not so good. And the king is watching this from the rampart, and he tells his son, the brother of the little child, please go and help her. And the son does. And he meets her as she comes in, and he blesses her and lets her know that it is a good thing that she is doing. It is a good thing that her desire is to minister to the king. But then he comes out with four roses, and he says, do you think these roses might be more beautiful than the nettle plant that you got there? And she says, oh, wow, this is great. Of course, she hands off the nettle plant, and he gives the rose. How about, how about that poison ivy? Do you think there might be a little bit here in the tiger lilies? 
And again, she's amazed at the beauty of the tiger lily. And so she says, sure, of course. And she takes the tiger lily and puts it into a bouquet. And then so on. That before long, you have this beautiful, wonderful bouquet of flowers. And so it is with Christ. When, she walk, when we walk into the presence of God and we set this bouquet of our worship on the throne room of God, before the throne room of God, it has been cleansed and blessed and glorified through Christ. It is not in me, but it is, it is not me, but it is Christ in me, the hope of glory. For why? I have been crucified in Christ. The life that I now live, I no longer live for myself, but I live for by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. It is no longer me. It is no longer about what I think. It is about my Lord Jesus Christ. This paints a mental image of us coming before the Lord in worship, in right understanding that we do worship, we do enter into the kingdom through the blood of Jesus Christ. But that blood washes us and makes our worship acceptable. But there's actually a deeper thing because there's knowing. It's possible to know all of this and still not enter in to worship. For those who worship must worship in spirit and truth, must worship in relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is like the difference between knowing a proper diet and actually eating the proper diet. Knowing something doesn't actually benefit you until you actually do it, until we actually draw close to God. And when Jesus says twice that such we must worship in spirit and truth, notice what he does not say. He doesn't say, well, it has to be a particular cultural bent. It has to be a particular style. It has to be a particular wordage. All he says is that it must be in spirit and truth. And I would point to creation as an indication of the diversity and the creativity that God himself enjoys in worship. For the heavens declare the glory of the Lord, and their expanse proclaim the work of his hands. Night into night pours forth speech, and day after day, Pours forth speech, and in night after night reveals knowledge. In the diversity of creation, which is glorifying God, which is a type of reflection of the glory of God, and is by its very existence a type of worship of God, it demonstrates the diversity of worship. The only requirement is, and the first one being the Spirit. And the encouragement here is, is that as Christians, you already have the Spirit of God. As the scripture says in Romans 8, 14 and 15, for all who are being led by the spirit of God, these are the children of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery, leading a fear again, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The desire to worship, the desire to enter into his presence, the desire to have a clean conscience, all of these are gifts from God through the Holy Spirit. That's evidence that we are being led by the Holy Spirit. And there's been much talk of the Holy Spirit, and so I'm not going to go into it very deeply. But the Spirit by itself, because of who we are and our inclination to make our opinions equal to what God's will is, the Spirit by itself uses the Word of God, uses truth to underscore and unite to direct worship properly. And so I want to spend a little bit of time when the Spirit empowers us and makes us alive in the truth that is Christ. We must worship in Christ in truth. Now, what is truth? 
And that's kind of a rhetorical question that's been echoing through the millennia. Pontius Pilate, standing before Christ before he was sent to the cross, asked in a satirical way, well, what is truth? Jesus didn't answer him then because he'd answered back in John 14. For I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Now, we think of that as the bridge and the cross and Christ cleanses us, but I want to suggest to you it is more than just that. That it is, yes, the redemption, the cleansing work of the Holy Spirit, but it is also that we are brought in and by the union of the Holy Spirit by faith, we are actually united in Christ. Now, before I continue, I want to point out something here that's important. You don't hear the Trinity preached about here in many churches at all. Adam has mentioned it in passing. I have mentioned it in passing. But I'm going to take a moment here and speak to the Trinity. Because I believe at this point, what is Jesus speaking to this Samaritan woman? She's speaking about worship of the Father through the Holy Spirit in truth. And if Jesus Christ is truth, what do you have? You have the representation of our triune God. And people think about this triune, and people we don't, nobody, I don't understand, nobody fully understands or grasps the reality of the depth of what it means when we speak about the triune God. But it is beautifully illustrated, I believe, at the baptism of Christ, where the Father, after seeing the Son obey and come up out of the water, speaks and says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And the Spirit descended on him in a bodily form as a dove. And then he was compelled to go out and be tempted in the wilderness. Christ did not go out into the wilderness until he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. So here we have the representations of the three in one, but we also have an echo of the roles that they play. The Father wills and sets the direction and the purposes. The Son perfectly obeys and accomplishes in the power of the Holy Spirit. The triune Godhead are three persons, co-equal God. There's no one less God and one more God. Self-existent is one in essence. From before time, each one having the full manifestations of God, but each one walking and accomplishing the will of God in creation. And in this context of worship, when we worship, the three in one becomes a reality of the part of the fundamentals of our worship. We worship the Father and the anointing of the Spirit are united in the truth that is in Christ Jesus. So someone asks, so you're saying I'm in Christ? I'm actually in Christ? Well, that's what Jesus prayed in John 17, 19 through 21. For their sakes, this is the prayer of Jesus before he was actually crucified and his heart's desire before he stepped out to protect and to give the fullness of the kingdom of heaven to his disciples. For their sake I have sanctified myself, that they themselves may also be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these alone, meaning the disciples that were there, but also for those who believe in me through their word. That's you and and me that they may all be one. Get this, even as you, Father, are in me and I am in you, that they also may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. Yes, we are grafted in Christ. It is not me who stands before the Lord. It is me in Christ. Jesus taught what this looked like. 
Remember the vine? Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot do anything unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abides in me bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Can you tell the difference between a vine and its branches? As it fully grows up and is matured, what you see is you look and you say, there's the vine. When we look at a tree that's full of branches, you could break off any one of those branches and it's still a tree. But when we look at the tree, we identify it by the branches. But what supports the branches and what gives it life is that trunk and the roots and the, the sustaining structure of that plant. And they're literally one. Everything about that tree or that vine, you, it, it becomes so enmeshed, so growth. Even when you graft a foreign branch into that tree and it's done properly, that foreign branch will take on the nurture and the sustenance of the plant that it was grafted into. And that is what we are. We are united in Christ, in perfect humility, in perfect holiness, in perfect alignment with the will of God as we worship in spirit and in truth. And in that spiritual dynamic that is accomplishing here, there is a perfecting that is taking place. We are being taught and trained in righteousness. We are learning what it is that is the truth and the reality of God and who he is. We are being changed, as it were, from glory to glory and strength to strength. We are being transformed because our Lord has not just said, okay, here you are, I make you clean, I declare you clean now, you can just come up and be in yourself. No, he actually grafts you in and you and Christ are a unit, the church are a unit by faith. How that perfectly works out, I don't know. But in the image that we have in worship, understand that worshiping in the spirit and truth is not somehow I am going to go in before the Father, that Christ has started this work, but I'm coming before him. No. The first part of worship begins with Christ. The objective of worship is to meet Christ. And in between, Christ is the one that is enabling us to come before him. So I want to ask the worship team to come up while I close here in the last point. One of the good illustrations of this and some of the sidetracks that we get is the story of Martha and Mary. Some have heard it, perhaps some haven't. It's in Luke 10, 38 through 42, if you should want to read it. And here we have two sisters. They both love the Lord. Martha's off doing her thing, busy about preparing a feast. She's serving the Lord in all her actions. Mary, her sister, sat at Jesus' feet and was listening to the Lord, listening to what he had to say. And Mary was basically not helping Martha. And Martha got a little twicked about it, a little twisted. And she says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left all the work to me? And then she assumed that Jesus' response was, sure, Lord, I care. And so she just answered what Jesus should do. How often do we tell what Jesus should do, right? Well, Lord, tell her to get off her duff and help me. And the Lord looked at Martha and said, yeah, he didn't tell her. Well, you know, what you're doing is wrong. Because what she was doing is fine. And the Lord was completely content to let her go and do the thing. But he pointed out the true issue. Martha, Martha, you are so busy and so burdened down with so many things. But Mary has chosen the better part, that which will not be taken away. Mary 
was seeking to absorb the presence of the Lord, to, in a sense, sit at his feet and worship him, learning from him, understanding him. Even the, the sound of his voice caused her to rise up and lift up in her spirit. That's the spiritual food that accomplishes and that is accomplished that we take part of in worship. And finally, what is the goal and what is the objective of worship? We see this in verses 25 and 26, that we must, in worship, meet the Messiah. We must meet our Lord Jesus Christ. And the woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ, and when he comes, he will declare all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Jesus, in the consummation of this discussion, answered a question that was not even asked verbally. The woman was looking at him and saying, are you the Messiah? Are you the healer of my soul? Are you the light in my darkness? Are you the one who causes this pain of being an outcast as a Samaritan woman in the will and the cultural harshness that happens and the scars that I bear? Are you the one who will wipe away every tear. And Jesus' response to her was, yes, I am your way maker. I am your miracle worker. I am your promise keeper. I am the light in the darkness. And whosoever comes unto me will never thirst again. For I've loved you with an everlasting love. And as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is my love for you. For I know my plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for calamity. The plans to bless you and to give you a hope. For it is not by might nor by power, but it is by my spirit that he makes the mountains low and raises up the valleys. He is the one that makes our hearts whole. That we might be free to worship him in the beauty of holiness and enter into the holy of holies and glorify his name. For he comes to declare the favorable year of the Lord, to give sight to the blind, to cause the lame to leap and to set the prisoners free. So I wanna speak to you. If you do not and have not asked the Lord to come into your heart, to forgive you of your sins, to have that union, that oneness, that relationship, or if it's been a while and you feel distant from the Lord, either on the camera or here. Know that the Lord is God of another chance. He's not God of a first chance or a second chance, but another chance. That the fact that the Spirit is pulling at our hearts, drawing us to have fellowship with Him, to drink deeply of the wellsprings of living water that flows from the throne of God. That is a sign that the Holy Spirit is pulling you. Do not resist Him, but humble ourselves before the mighty hand of God, casting all our cares before him, for he cares for you. And at the end of the service, there will be those who will be open to pray with you, to stand by faith with you. Please, the Christian walk was never meant to be a lonely walk, a lone ranger walk, a walk where we just go off and do ourselves because it's just me and God and nobody else. That is not the Christian walk. That is a lie from the pit. So if you come before the Lord and afresh and anew are giving your life to the Lord, then please come forward and ask for prayer. 
for the prayer team when they come forward. But even as Christians, even as those who are sealed in the power and the anointing of the Spirit, let us decide today that we're going to eat right foods. And it's not enough to just know the right diet, but to eat the right diet. If I may be so bold, turn off ESPN, turn off the TV, and dig deep into the Word of God. Allow the worship of His Spirit, not to just be here in this place, but also in your home, in your car. Invest the time in relationship with the Lord, and as the Scripture promises, cry out to me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and wonderful things that you do not know. For worship starts not here when we show up on Sunday, but it starts in our lives out there. Before you ever walk in the door, the spirit of worship and the resurrection power of the Holy Spirit resides on you. His spirit goes and directs us. And we are called to invest and choose you. As Joshua said to Old Testament and to Israel, choose you this day whom you shall serve. But as for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. So in closing, we worship God for who he is and what he has done. In particular, this God, the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but should have everlasting life. This God, whose life and death and resurrection has brought many sons and daughters into glory, that we would become a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people that should show forth the praises of our God in our lives, not because we're something good, but because our lives are united in Christ Jesus. And it's not I who live, but Christ in me who lives the hope of glory. And therefore, we must have the right knowledge in our worship and what's happening in our minds when we focus on worship. We must worship in spirit and truth. And we must meet our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, I thank you that you have promised that you, that everyone who calls upon you will not be put to shame, that you would by no means cast anyone out, but all who come to you, you will receive, and you will take us by the hand and lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. You will cause us to lie down in the green pastures. You will lead us beside the quiet waters. Father, you promised to prepare a table before us in the presence of our enemies, to pour out the oil of gladness upon our head and to fill us up with such overflowing in our cup that it would overflow, that our desires would be fulfilled, that one thing we have sought, that we would dwell in your house all the days of our life. And so God, I pray that you would empower your church, that you would transform us and lead us from the shallows of our faith into the deep things of the Lord and that we would be transformed from glory to glory and strength to strength. For we are new creatures in Christ Jesus. Behold, the old things have passed away. You, O oh Lord, have made all things new.